we believe that uh, we are going to a more autonomous world. So this, uh, in the, I, I think in the next five years, this more accurate positioning with all these other new functionalities together, connectivity, availability, and so on, will make a more digital and autonomous world. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. In this week's podcast episode, you're going to hear from Edward Escalona. Edward is a marketing and innovation officer at the European GNSS Agency. And of course, GNSS stands for Global Navigation Satellite System. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the innovations we've seen over the last five to 10 years with regards to these these constellations. And of course, what that also has meant for the receivers on the ground and how the receivers have evolved as well. During the conversation, we're also going to try and explain what this means for you, why you should care and, and what it's going to mean for our industry in general. Okay, let's get on with the interview. Hi Edward, welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about GNSS, Global Navigation Satellite Systems and their evolution, what that has meant for the receivers of these satellite signals and we're going to tie that into some user applications towards the end of the episode here. But I think before we dive into all of that great stuff, perhaps you could just give the listeners a brief sort of overview of your history. How did you get involved with Global Navigation Satellite Systems? Hi uh, Daniel, thank you for, uh, for inviting me. Uh, so yeah, I'm, currently I'm working as a market development innovation officer at the European GNSS agency. But my background is uh, a little bit more diverse. I uh, because the agency I joined uh, only recently, two years ago. It was established in 2004, but uh, it was moved later on to to Prague, to to Czech Republic, where it has its headquarters. Even if the agency is distributed in other uh, European locations in uh, in Europe, uh, but the agency itself, the main role. Uh, it's is to take charge of the of the operational management of the European navigation satellites, which are uh, Egnos and uh, and Galileo. And the, the, among this responsibility is the, is part of the market development that is in the work that uh, I'm supporting and in, in the department where I'm working now. And uh, in the market development the system, so basically what we do is uh, monitoring the market and the related technology of GNSS. We are engaging with the industry and users mainly uh, to raise awareness of the systems and to uh, to increase the adoption so make uh, make people aware of how these uh, systems can be useful and how they can use it uh, and not only the users but also the the industry that is involved the downstream industry also let's say the third pillar the third uh, action that we do is uh, to support the industry and users to create new and innovative applications that are can be supported thanks to thanks to the positioning offered by the navigation systems and as part of your role at uh, GSA, you, you produce the, this um, technology monitoring report, I guess you could call it, and I think it comes out every second year, and it's a, the, it's a massive document. It's 110 pages, and it is filled with an incredible amount of information. And that's part of the, and this is kind of what we're basing the, this podcast episode on, because this is the document that talks about the, the evolution of these different systems that, that I mentioned right at the start uh, of the episode here. And... I think it would be a really good idea if we could start off by letting the listeners know what this evolution looks like in terms of the, the satellite systems, the satellite platforms. 
Yes, so you're right. The, we, we regularly, every two years, uh, produce these two reports, the market monitoring and the technology monitoring. And uh, with the technology monitoring, uh, basically what we do is, uh, is every two years, we, we are continuously monitoring the receivers, the technology, everything that is related to GNSS. Uh, we, for example, every year, we monitor more than 500 receiver models and uh, we are checking what's the market penetration of, of those receivers and how are they evolving. So we check the what are the trends, the evolution of the technology, uh, the evolution of the requirements also from the users that uh, are using that technology. Uh, so and then, then, of course, with all these trends, there are different aspects that we're analyzing and uh, and we're updating uh, every two years. And uh, in this evolution, of course, you can see how the navigation market is evolving from different aspects. From the uh, satellite point of view, let's say, the systems are evolving and uh, they are getting better. For example, now we have uh, many more constellations before and many people are still not using the GNSS terminology, but they are calling GPS, which is basically the, the American GNSS. But now we have more constellations, more systems that are doing uh, the same as the GPS, but are allowing many more functionalities. So now we have Galileo, which is uh, the European uh, navigation system, but we also have the Russian GLONASS, the uh, Chinese Beidou, and all these are adding more evolution to the systems. And it seems that uh, navigation systems are there for long, but this is basically happening in the last uh, five uh, years. So Galileo, for example, is, uh, is there operational since 2016. But since, for example, if you compare since two th- the year 2000, in which there were basically uh, 40 satellites from GPS, so currently that we have, uh, with, together with all these constellations, more than 100 satellites. So you can see uh, that there is the, a lot of difference. Can I just stop you there? Because I'd be really curious to know. So we, we, we've got the, these different satellite constellations that you're talking about. A lot of more sat- a lot more satellites sorry, are visible in the sky today to the receivers we have. What does that mean? Can we use all of them interchangeably? Um, does the user perceive any difference here? I mean, it's great having more satellites, but w- what does it actually mean for people using it? And what does it mean for the accuracy and the precision of, of the locations that, that we can derive from these satellites? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's exactly as you say. So uh, basically, in order to derive a, a position, so to know your receiver, your device, where is it located, uh, it needs at least the visibility of four satellites. So it's three satellites to calculate your position, but another extra satellite to synchronize the, the receiver. So the way that the satellite works is that it's sending signals telling you where the it is positioned. So the receiver is calculating uh, what is the time that it's traversing this signal. So it can know what is the distance to the to the satellite. So when you have many more satellites, you have more visibility of satellites, it's much easier to derive this, uh, this position. So you can have better accuracy. So you can have also better availability and better continuity of this positioning. And this is very important in uh, situations, for example, in uh, urban canyons, is what we call when you are inside uh, in the middle of the city, of a street of the city with tall buildings, in which then the visibility of the satellite is much more limited. So uh, you can remember before with uh, only one constellation and uh, GPS, uh, when you could only maybe see two or three satellites, and then you were losing the the positioning within the city. That it's now very rarely to see in devices that are supporting multi-constellation, that are supporting more than one constellation. And all these constellations are built in a way that they are compatible with each other. So all the receivers that are able to see, that are supporting to, to, uh, different, multi, different constellations, uh, are able to compute the, uh, the position using the satellites from different constellations.
And I also know that there's been some advances around the use of multi-frequency from these different satellite constellations. Can you talk to us a little bit about what multi-frequency means for, for the receiver or for the end user? As I was uh, saying before, the, the satellites basically send signals, uh, broadcast signals, uh, that are uh, captured by the receivers. These signals are uh, using specific frequencies that are, of course, standardized. Uh, but uh, before, they're using basically one, one, uh, one frequency, and this frequency travels space. When it travels space, it travels ionosphere, it travels the atmosphere with the different, uh, all the different layers, and this creates errors. It creates delays, and these delays, at the end, they are translated to uh, a worse accuracy, let's say. That's why before we had five, six, seven meters of accuracy. Now, with their inclusion of more frequencies in the satellites, now it's quite common to have dual frequency, but even there are some more professional devices that are using triple frequency. And the usage of these frequencies, what it makes is that every time this different frequency traverses the atmosphere, it behaves differently. So uh, even if they are sent at the same time, uh, when they are received at the receiver, they they basically are received, are received at different times. And this helps uh, computing the errors, some of the errors that are produced in the ionosphere. So you can correct those errors at the receiver. So that helps you to have uh, better accuracy and uh, better robustness. And another characteristic is, for example, when I was talking about the in cities, there is the, the problem of having a multipath. That this is the error that happens when the signal is uh, is bounced, for example, in the ground or in buildings. So you can receive multiple copies of that signal, even if it's a it's not a fake signal; it's the real signal from the satellites. But you receive uh, reflections of those signal, and that and that can can complicate the computation of the the position. So having multi frequency also helps reduce these uh, multipath. Uh, errors that are received at the at the receiver, and uh, there are other benefits like uh, having more frequencies makes the system more immune to uh, interferences when there is uh, other systems that are working close to a specific uh, uh, frequency. So if you have other frequencies, you uh, you can discard that one that is being interfered and uh, use the other ones. So there are many benefits, and uh, and this is this is something that we can see more and more receivers that are supporting. Uh, more frequencies, not not the basic uh, single frequency, only one. So the fact that we've got more constellations to use to take advantage of in the sky is obviously a huge benefit in terms of you know increasing the accuracy and the precision of the locations that we can calculate on the ground. Multi-frequencies has, has been a huge benefit as well. I want to stay with the idea of frequencies just for a second here because I'm wondering what it takes to broadcast on you know, multiple signals. Do we need to launch new satellites to do this, or can we simply reprogram the existing satellites to broadcast on multiple different frequencies using uh, the, the same antennas? Uh, I'm trying to figure out the significance of this. Well, what is the most significant breakthrough here? Is it in terms of dual frequency that we can that, that it's possible to broadcast on, on different signals or broadcast different signals? Sorry, or is it the fact that these low-cost receivers can take advantage of the signal of the dual frequency signal? So uh, the satellites, you, of course, you cannot use uh, any frequency you want. You cannot add uh, randomly frequencies and, and increase the number of frequencies. These have to be done by design. And uh, obviously, these frequencies have to follow uh, some standardization process because they have to be certified and approved by the International Telecommunication Union. These satellites, when they are designed, because uh, at the end, the, the satellite lifespan is uh, around 10, 12 years. So uh, these satellites are already designed with this in mind. 
uh, of course, you have to try to design them uh, future-proof so that uh, new requirements and new functionalities can still be added. But in terms of frequency, these are basically pre-designed. So if you want to really, in the future, increase the number of frequencies, so you would have to make an upgrade on the on the satellites and change them. On the receiver side, we have seen this evolution. Originally, they, uh, for example, smartphones, uh, when they started uh, receiving uh, signals from the GNSS, uh, you could only receive single frequency, and that that was a problem, as we saw that of availability of, of the system. Now there is a huge increase on the multi constellation and multi frequency in the case of smartphones, dual frequency. Basically, it's becoming a standard uh, de facto. So all the uh, new smartphones that are released in the market, they basically support multi frequency, and this is what is making the breakthrough. This uh, higher accuracy, better availability is coming to uh, not only only high-end professional devices, but also to smaller devices. This, together with the miniaturization, uh, the smaller devices, lower consumption, is uh, we, what we can see is that there are many applications that are benefiting for the, from this higher accuracy, which before it was not an option. Maybe now would be a really good time in the conversation to jump over and talk about the what's happening on the, the receiver side of things. We, we just talked about it a little bit before, that uh, these low-cost, low-power receivers like what we have in our smartphones, are now capable of receiving dual frequencies and processing that, giving us a, a better, uh, more accurate location. Um, I think it might be really useful for people if we talked about receivers in, in different groups. Is there any way of defining the, these different groups of receivers? And, and then perhaps we could talk about how they've evolved. Uh, so, for example, we can see... Uh three main categories. So there is the high volume devices. So this is, these are devices like smartphones. They, we call them mass market or location-based systems in which uh, they are characterized by uh, smaller, they are smaller, they, are, they have lower consumption. They are used now in more emerging markets like uh, autonomous systems, uh, even drones. And, uh, and the evolution of these devices is, is uh, what I was mentioning. Uh, now they support the multi-constellation. So you can buy any, any last model of phone, even low-cost phones, are supporting uh, several constellations and dual frequency, which is very, very important and very relevant, relevant nowadays. And uh, what we see as well for this kind of high-volume devices is that uh, they are usually incorporating other types of sensors. So you can see this in your smartphone, in which you have inertial sensors for, for the movement, which can also help uh, when you are, for example, navigating. Then the second category would be what we call the safety critical or reliability critical devices. These are devices that need assurance, need more robustness, and they are basically supporting a market that is a bit more constrained by regulations. So the evolution in terms of of technology, GNSS technology, is not so strong as uh, you could see, for example, in the high-volume devices. Basically, because you need a lot of uh, certification regulations that need to pass uh, many, many layers of, of approval. Uh, so it's lower in adoption, but still we can see that there are already some devices that they don't require so many regulations that they're already supporting dual frequency and multi-constellation. But the, the main characteristics of this type of safety-critical applications and devices is that they require a robustness from the system and from the position and the integrity. And then there is the third group, that is what we call the, the high accuracy, uh, that there are basically those devices that are used in uh, professional environments. So they uh, they require 
much higher performance than the normal positioning that we would require for a normal smartphone to, to locate you on the street. Uh, and this is, a, this is a supporting basically applications like surveying, uh, like uh, for precision agriculture, and uh, something that they need uh, basically centimeter accuracy or even millimeter accuracy. So they have very stringent requirements in terms of accuracy, availability, uh, convergence times, which means that the time that you you, you make the, the first fix of the signal. Uh, so these devices are more advanced. They are uh, more expensive as well. And, uh, and they require external systems that are also making corrections on those errors that I said on the propagation of the through the ionosphere and so on in order to be able to uh, compute those centimeter or decimeter accuracy. So uh, these are, let's say, the most advanced type of devices, uh, which they are always on the on the line with the with the innovation. And uh, as soon as there is a new frequency, a new constellation, they always support it uh, faster. So, but of course, they are the most expensive, and they are not uh, made for everyone. When I listen to you talk about the, the evolution of some of these devices, it seems to me that the cheaper chipsets must be catching up with the more professional devices, right? We've got those, the, the dual frequency, we've talked about that, we've got multi-constellation, and this is you know, by default in a lot of these cheaper chipsets. And, and we've also got onboard sensors like an IMU on, on a phone, for example. How blurry is that line now between the, these kinds of high-volume devices, the cheaper chipsets, and what we might think of when we think of more professional precision devices. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, because uh, I always use the example of the smartphone, but the smartphone has, uh, or the telephone has become from a device that you could only call to a device that you can locate yourself, uh, you can take photographs, uh, you can do many, many other things. So uh, it's becoming such a complex and, and almost professional device for several things that uh, this line of, uh, of requirements from a, a professional application, uh, sometimes there are devices that, that can somehow satisfy that. So we are seeing this in the miniaturization of the of the high accuracy devices that uh, there are some applications like for example for some mapping or for uh, asset inventory that even you can do that with a smartphone so you can bring that smartphone and use it for professional applications so it's true that this line is is blurring still there are uh, many limitations like size of antennas in order to support different frequencies the chipsets are still uh, uh, even if they're small and they are dual frequency, but they're not chips supporting triple frequencies that are now becoming more standard in, uh, in more professional devices. There are, uh, there are things that you see that trend, that it's, uh, it's going to mass market and, and they are kind of converging, even if, of course, there will be more professional features that still require a more professional device and that cannot be satisfied by mass market. But on that, for example, there is a, also a, a work that we are doing uh, in Galileo that with Android devices, that it's opening the raw measurements of GNSS. So to make them available, so you can, once you have these raw measurements, you can also compute corrections on your smartphone. Uh, of course, the performance capability is not the same as an, in a professional device, but that can open for possibilities for also uh, receiving higher accuracy I'm talking about even the centimeter accuracy uh, to the smartphones and not only through uh, professional devices. I think it's interesting that we always talk about smartphones when, when it's like calling a Ferrari uh, a cup holder. Yes, they also are a phone, but they're a pretty incredible device. When you think about where they might be heading alone in, in terms of uh, their ability to precisely and accurately locate us, it's, it blows my mind each time. 
That's absolutely uh, correct. I mean, uh, there's the new trend in the winning professional that it's now called being your own device. So even you don't need professional devices, as I was mentioning, to, to do some professional activities. And this is a uh, smartphones that really changed this paradigm. When you think about the evolution of GN- GNSS, uh, what is driving it? Is it the fact that the uh, satellite platform shows up and says, hey, I've got a new signal, I've got a new offering, and, and then waits for the receivers to catch up? So the receivers are ability to process that signal to make use of it? Do they wait for them to catch up? Or is it a case where a a new receiver shows up on the market and then the satellite sort of raced to catch up to provide, you know, to to be able to make use of the functionality that's now available on the ground? Is is there any one thing that's driving the market? So for us, uh, the way we work is we we say we are user-centric. So basically constantly changing the user needs. And this is basically then what it's translating uh, to the service, so to the evolution of the service, what the user needs, and uh, and how the service can satisfy those needs, and uh, we are basically classifying these needs. I think I mentioned before in availability, accuracy, uh, security, and connectivity. So we see that there are many more applications and that are having more stringent requirements in terms of uh, of these uh, different parameters. Uh, and here we are talking about future-proof systems. So we are already thinking about autonomous driving, for example, robotics, uh, drones. You can imagine drones then uh, flying within cities. This will need uh, higher accuracy, higher availability and robustness. So uh, in terms of availability, this is uh, somehow solved having more constellations and more satellites. In terms of uh, accuracy, there is a, a bit of these, uh, what we call democratizing the correction services. These correction services or augmentation services were first uh, devoted only for professional segments. But now we can see this trend to uh, move this type of corrections to mass market, to more uh, general devices uh, for autonomous driving, for example. But as I mentioned before, this can reach even uh, some smartphones. We are building a, a new service that is called the Galileo High Accuracy Service, which will provide corrections directly from the satellites on a new uh, frequency. And the receiver will be able to use those corrections to, let's say, correct their positioning and reach uh, the symmetric accuracy. So this is, uh, I think, a, a big breakthrough. Uh, it shows how monitoring the market and monitoring these requirements, you can make some changes in the in the satellite to provide new services and to adapt to this evolution. There are other aspects in terms of security. There are more requirements in terms of security. There we, what we can see is that uh, there are more vulnerabilities of GNSS. Uh, for example, there are these methods that's called spoofing or, or jamming. Uh, jamming is, is a way that they can scramble your signal so you cannot receive... Uh, uh, you don't know uh, what uh, where are you located because you don't receive the GNSS signal. There is this spoofing on the other hand that it can be very easily done nowadays with simple devices. They can fake the signal of the of the GNSS, so you can basically receive a signal that is completely fake and uh, and is telling you you are somewhere else where you are really are. And this we can see it in the news that it's it's happening. And uh, on the other hand, from the satellites, what we are doing is we are implementing, trying to implement authentication systems. So this is a, a service that is coming soon for Galileo that's called OSNMA, Open Service Navigation Message Authentication, that is basically sending a signature message telling you and reassuring you that the GNSS signal you have received, it's coming actually from uh, 
from the satellite, from Galileo, and not from another source. This evolution of requirements uh, is what we see that is driving at the end the market. It's driving the uh, evolution of the receivers and it's driving the evolution of the system itself. And of course, we are taking this into consideration when we are we can upgrade the current satellites, but also when we are designing the next generation of satellites that could come in, uh, in 10 years' time. I'd like to go back to what you said about authentication there and this idea of proving that you are connected to a, a GNS satellite and that you're not receiving a fake signal from somewhere. Because obviously this is really important when we think about navigation. If we think about autonomous vehicles, for example, it's important that they are receiving a signal and not being sent off into a wall or in, in some other direction. But I'm wondering if there are not some other use cases around this in terms of uh, perhaps payment of things, so proof of location, am I actually here when, and I can only receive things when I'm in a certain location? Are there any sort of use cases around that when we think about authentication? So, yeah, when we talk about, about these uh, authentication mechanisms, it's basically uh, to prevent spoofing, is what I said. Uh, somebody that is trying to send a signal that is fake, so uh, so you can be sure that when you are computing your location, uh, it's coming. It's a real location. It's coming from the satellites. And this is very critical for safety-critical applications, like autonomous driving, but not only. As you, another example that you mentioned is the payment. So imagine that you want to pay uh, something and there are many systems now that are checking where you are located to in order to uh, authenticate that you are really making the, that payment and it's not uh, something fake that is trying to fake your location and, and do it from somewhere else. So this is uh, very important to know exactly that you are there located. This is uh, very important for the payment companies. Another example could be uh, in the agricultural area where we can see this uh, common agricultural policy in which farmers are receiving subsidies uh, showing how are they crops, what are they producing and so on. And for this, they are using images and positioning showing what are they are actually uh, producing. And uh, they need to verify that they are not faking, for example, going to the neighbor's uh, farm to show the crops of the neighbor. So they are showing their actual uh, crops. Uh, for the paying agencies, that is very important. So there are many use cases and in which authentication is important and that uh, even if we haven't heard a lot of cases of spoofing, these are increasing. Uh, basically because the systems that are required to produce this spoofing nowadays are very, very cheap and, uh, and very easy to use, basically because the GNSS signal are weak because they come from very far distance. So uh, having a, a device on the ground producing the signal, it's, you will receive a much stronger signal. So it's very easy that uh, the receiver would, uh, would take that signal instead of the, of the actual one. So ensuring that the signal you are receiving is, is original, is from a trustful source, is, is very important. Is this also a response to some of the, the ground-based networks that, that we see springing up? And so, so one of the big critiques that I've heard of GNS systems is that it's a centralized system it's e and it's easy to spoof the location of it. It sounds like you're working on a solution to that. But how do you see GNSS working together with, with some of the ground-based networks? We're already integrated in terms of the different constellations we can use. You know, there's the Russian, there's a Chinese constellation, there's the American GPS system. You know, so the, these constellations are integrated they work together and you know we we can use different frequencies as well do you see ground-based networks also feeding into this to, to give a more precise and secure i guess location 
Yeah, I think definitely we need to go in that direction. There are, uh, of course, other ways, ground-based uh, systems uh, using, for example, the cellular networks. Now they are talking about location-based 5G networks, but not only, not only telecommunications-based. And it, they, can, uh, they can only also be used for, uh, for indoor location, for example, which is uh, it's a, another important thing. For example, when you go uh, inside a tunnel that you lose uh, the reception of GNSS, and that's uh, a known problem. So there are systems that are, are built, for example, for, uh, for indoors or for uh, other ground systems, in which at the end, the overall positioning system would have to take the input from all the sources. And this is very important because you will not rely only in one uh, positioning system, but will, you will rely in many, which provides more robustness, provides, provides backup in case of, uh, for example, spoofing or jamming, or there is a failure on one of the systems. So you have all the others to rely on. And this is very important in, uh, in many applications, like the one we were uh, discussing, the, uh, the autonomous driving, in which uh, obviously there are safety critical applications in which you cannot lose the positioning if there is any autonomous system that is detecting is using the position as an input. So there are many different sources. And this hybridization of sensors and other ground systems together with GNSS is where we are going. And uh, of course, we'll have to work together with them. So these systems are, are uh, completely integrated and are uh, understanding each other. Could you imagine a time where GNSS was completely re- replaced by, by ground-based networks? I think it's, it, would be, it would be risky. You could achieve uh, higher accuracy. There are many sensors, many type of systems that can provide you uh, positioning. For example, we now see lidar system based on lidar systems that could eventually, with with the advent and the emergence of uh, of more powerful processing techniques, could become even real time. Even if now it's on uh, offline or uh, camera sensors in which you can uh, check the environment and through a three D map that it's, uh, it can be compared and you, it can tell you exactly where you are, where are you looking at. This is something that you, somehow there are the prototypes that you can already see. But these are mostly relative systems in which they locate you based on some other object. So the relation of your position with some other object. GNSS is providing you an absolute position in the earth. And uh, I think that is uh, something that it's uh, reliable, it's system proof because it has been proved for many years that it's a, uh, a very reliable system and with the improvements that it's it's uh, where it's going it's really a system that i think we are dependable on of course i, I don't have a crystal ball and i don't know what will happen in 20 30 years but i think where we are going is uh, what we mentioned is more than the hybridization and using all these things all these systems together rather than making one of them disappear yeah i i completely agree not that i'm an expert in the space at all but it's hard to imagine that we would like fail to use or take advantage of a system like this when it's when it's a known quantity we're used to it we understand it and the, the global coverage side of things i think ground-based networks sound like a really really good idea and i envision things working together in that fused sense like what we we're talking about before but a ground-based network not going to have the the global coverage that uh, gns has uh, that's correct. So, of course, GNSS, uh, they have satellites around the world. That is, uh, So you can be sure that wherever you are traveling, you have visibility of satellites. So you can gather that position. Uh, if you are traveling, for example, by car and you travel uh, and you cross a country, if that ground-based system is mainly national, 
uh, you would have to rely on agreements between different national providers to provide you a seamless uh, transition of your position, similar to what's happening with telecommunication. So these things are adding complexity to the system. Uh, on the other hand, GNSS, it's free of charge, it's completely available, and it's global. So wherever you go, you have availability, and, and you can use it, uh, and you can depend on it. So one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the timing and synchronization application. So we're used to thinking about GNS satellites pr- providing location, but, but they're also this incredible resource in, in terms of time, you know, incredibly accurate clock system. Could you talk to us a little bit about some of the timing and synchronization applications and how they can be used? GNSS systems basically produce what we call PNT, which is position, navigation, and timing. And this timing is basically because in the satellites you have very, very precise clock systems. And there are many systems in the in the Earth that require accurate timing for synchronizing networks, for making distribution. And there are several use cases in which uh, GNSS timing is playing a role. For example, we see in telecommunication networks in which the synchronization of the signals, uh, telecommunication signals and systems need precise timing for uh, for synchronizing. And uh, of course, they, are, they can use ground systems, uh, but eventually you need very, very precise clocks. This can provide worldwide by the satellites. There are uh, other applications, not only telecommunications, but also, for example, in energy, where the energy distribution also has to rely on an accurate and robust synchronization system. And uh, and finally, we have the example of the of the finance, the stock exchange, all these financial operations. They need to be timestamped and very accurately. So you cannot make, you know, if you make a transaction in the stock market uh, one second after, you can lose a a lot of money. This really needs to be very accurate. And GNSS is a very accurate uh, source of timing uh, and synchronization for all these applications as well. Yeah, and once again, we get back to that idea of the the global infrastructure, right? Everyone can use this. It's an open system. It doesn't create any, it doesn't require any bandwidth in terms of the internet. It's, you know, it's um, broadcast down to us and everyone has access to it. I wonder, so we've seen a lot of change in the last, you know, 10, 5 years in terms of GNSS systems. If you if you take out your crystal ball now and have a look into it, what, what are the next 5 years going to look like? Is there anything on the horizon which is going to c- completely change the, the system as we know it today or revolutionise anything? Uh, what what is for sure going to happen in the next five years, and, and I think this is a very uh, relevant breakthrough, is what I mentioned of the high accuracy service, for example, that Galileo produces, but also some other regional systems uh, will have some corrections distributed through the satellites. For example, uh, the the new Australian SBAS will uh, will support corrections directly through the satellites, but also the Japanese. QZSS with uh, with their SILAS system is also supporting corrections sent by the satellites. So this, we believe, it will be a real breakthrough because it will, as I said before, democratize high accuracy. You will be able to com- accuracies up to 20 centimeters with very cheap devices, and that will open up an amount of uh, of applications and a, a, a huge a range of innovation. Uh, that right now we are uh, sometimes even not foreseeing. So, of course, we can imagine robotics, drones, uh, autonomous driving, but for sure there will be many other applications that once the system will be in place, they will appear. And the uh, and the other system that will, it's more a supporting system on the securities, what I mentioned on the authentication. It's something that is still not there. The, this, no, no other system has it. Uh, they have to rely on some uh, other ground uh, infrastructure doing some 
uh, other calculations. But uh, having this uh, functionality coming directly through the satellites, it's, uh, it's really simplifying things. And, and we believe that that will also open new markets because right now some markets that they cannot rely if on this on this source of positioning if it's not completely trustworthy. So once you will have this authentication put in place, uh, they will open new markets as well where they will be able to use uh, GNSS uh, systems. So so when we look five years out in the future, you know we're, we're going to see improved navigation. We're going to see this uh, authentication being possible in the in the signal itself. Is there any? particular industries that stand to benefit from this or is it just going to be universally better for for every industry we look at the market basically now we classify it in for example agriculture in geomatics or surveying applications in transport applications road rail maritime uh, for navigation of of vessels for example but what we are seeing is that uh, the main increase in the in the market in the usage of GNSS in the last years and how we believe it will evolve is in the mass market. So this breakthrough of having this very high accuracy and very powerful receivers of GNSS in in uh, smaller devices, so that you don't need very high end professional devices. It's uh, putting devices in uh, these high volume applications like uh, like autonomous driving and these together with uh, other innovations of IT for example with IoT we can see now that more and more IoT devices also support positioning because there are uh, many applications in which they require to know where they are located and uh, also what we can see is it is not a new trend but the cloud systems that now they're being everywhere, so the computation doesn't really need to be in the device, but it can be anywhere. All this stress together, the uh, amount of data that all this is generating, together with feeding uh, machine learning algorithms and uh, with interfer- artificial intelligence, we believe that uh, we are going to a more autonomous world. So this, uh, in the, I, I think in the next five years, this more accurate positioning with all these other new functionalities together, connectivity, availability, and so on, will make a more digital and autonomous world. So we can already envisage some of the applications in the next five years, for, but we are sure that many applications, many more applications will, uh, will arise. Thank you very much for that. I realise it is tricky to sort of take out the crystal ball and look into the future and make predictions. So, so I really appreciate that. I've just got one final question for you here. And I came across this when I was reading through the report. And I'll just read out, read out the section for you. More than 3,700 satellites re- rely on GNSS to navigate in space. And I read that and I thought, well, why do satellites need to navigate in space? Aren't they on fixed orbits? Could, could, could you talk us through that? Another area that that we are working on and that we'll work on uh, in the future, which is the what is called space uh, space awareness or situational awareness, space situational awareness or or SSA, in which uh, you really need to track all the objects in space, all the satellites, everything what is there. You know, currently there are more and more constellations, and we're not talking only about GNSS, but we are talking about many satellites providing now internet connectivity. When we are talking about mega constellations that are uh, Leo satellites. And all these satellites, even if they are uh, in orbit, you have to know where they are located constantly in case the, the satellites move in orbit and they there are some deviations in the orbits. This is very important in LEO satellites where there is this drag from the atmosphere that they are pushing them down. So you have to correct these orbits and you need some external source in order to be able to have accurate positioning of those satellites. So you also need a satellite system, a navigation satellite system to locate those satellites. 
So yeah, this is a complex issue, but now that we are seeing more and more satellites in space, uh, this is a, a very important area that also needs to be, to be taken care of. Of course, of course, in looking at the future, it's, uh, it provides more control on the debris when you want to remove satellites and, uh, and you want to control where are they and so on. So it's a, it's a very important issue as well. Edward, I really want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for, for walking us through the, this very, very, very complex subject. I think you did an amazing job. I, I know that you were a little bit nervous before the interview, but uh, you've done an amazing job, so thank you very much. So I'm going to put a link to this report that we've been talking about or referencing to during this interview in the show notes so people can find it there. But is there anywhere else people should go if they want to learn more about GNSS? So yeah, we have uh, several resources. Of course, we have the uh, our main website, which is the GSA website, gsa.europa.eu. Uh, but we have also the uh, European GNSS uh, Service Support uh, website, which is the the GSC, and also the EGNOS Support uh, website, in which there are tons of information related to Galileo or to EGNOS, and where you can find the official documentation of of the program of the satellite systems. Uh, there is also help desk in which you can ask questions uh, about the services if you have any doubts. So uh, there are many resources, and of course you can always follow our media channels in uh, in LinkedIn, Twitter, and and even we are on on Instagram. So uh, many sources for uh, for getting information on GNSS. Thanks very much, Edward. I'll, I'll put links to those resources in the show notes, and people can can find them from there. Uh, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Daniel. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you learned something new about GNSS. I just want to take a minute here just to sort of highlight a few ideas I found particularly interesting about this podcast episode. The first one being the idea that we need to prove our location or this, um, I think during the episode we talked about it in terms of authentication. So proving that we were connected to a GNS satellite and proving that we that the location that we were seeing that we were experiencing on our device was not being spoofed or altered in, in any way, shape or form. Edward was talking about this in terms of a GNS solution. So somehow embedding a code, I guess, in the signal that that was going to be and using that as a form of verification that you were connected to an, an authoritative service like, like a GNS satellite. There's a couple of other different projects out there that are trying to do the same thing, trying to sort of prove your location. And the first one I'd like to point you towards is foam.space. And the next one is the xyo.network. So if you go to any of those two links, you'll find a two different projects, but the, the ideas are the, are the same. So the idea with, with both these is to provide a decentralized way, a decentralized network and a way of proving your location built on the Internet of Things. Two slightly different approaches, but if you're interested in, in this kind of thing, you know, I, I'd recommend that you check them out. While we're on the subject of proving your location, of authentifying where you are, um, during the, the a previous conversation with, with, with Edward, he mentioned this really interesting idea, at least for me it was really interesting, and the idea was that you could secure documents by location. So set up a geofence and say, this document cannot be visible outside of this location. So when we have really accurate location available to us in our everyday devices, this will mean that we, we can do things like this. I, I thought this was really interesting. And I've, I've actually done an episode not about documents as such, but about sound. So I'll put a link in the show notes. This episode was all about making sound available at certain geolocations. So 
the basic idea was that you could create a tour uh, through a city, a sightseeing tour, and you could layer sound based on the location and build up this experience, which only could be you know, experienced as you move through a, a scene, as you move through a, a location or an area. And I thought it was a really clever idea, really interesting application, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode if that's something you're interested in, in listening to. Another thing I found really interesting and just wanted to highlight about this episode was the idea that satellites need to be able to navigate as well. So using the the satellite GNS platform to help other satellites navigate their journey through space. And I found this really great uh, online resource. It's actually made by Esri and it's a map of all the stuff that's orbiting our planet. So you can go and click on junk, non-junk satellites, big small satellites, look at different orbit times. And it's actually really astounding how many things are, are orbiting our planet. So on the website, these, these things are all referred to as satellites. And there's something like, I think they've mapped 18,000 of the 19,000 things, satellites, objects, pieces of junk, whatever they are orbiting our planet at any one time. So again, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. You can find it if you're interested. Um, I, w- I would highly recommend checking this out. I think it's a really interesting way of showing you know, what it is that, that's out there and, and gives you a, an overview of, or at least a rough idea of how many things we have orbiting the Earth at the moment. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's been a pleasure being your host again this week. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. You can find me on social media. I'm most active on LinkedIn and Twitter at the moment. But if you want to contact me through the website, just go to mapscaping.com. You'll find an email address there. And I would really love to hear from you. Okay, we'll talk again next week. Bye.